All right, good morning, everyone. <laughs> I was almost going to say good afternoon, but it's, it is it's still morning. Good to be with you, uh, third service. And just to piggyback a little bit off of uh, the video, uh, we are a host site, premier host site for the Global Leadership Summit. You've probably heard us talking a bit about it. And uh, I would just love for you to come and be a part as a church member or as an attender of the Forest Lake Church. You have the opportunity to come at a discounted rate, and I can give you more details on that. You can go to our church website, forestlakechurch.org. There's a link there that will lead you to how to register for the summit. Great event, uh, really a powerful event um, that will just help you to enhance your own capacity as a leader. And um, so... I encourage you to do that. It's a, win it's a Thursday, Friday, August 11 and 12. It's uh, like, uh, like 8.30 to 4.30 p.m. So it's not an evening thing. It's during the day. So you'd have to make arrangements for work. But I'd love, love, love to have you come and experience the summit right here at the Forest Lake Church. And uh, talk to me if you want more info about the summit. Um, Pastor Jeff is out. He's doing a camp meeting this weekend. And um, so he's preaching there. He texted me this morning and he said, hey, um, I'm only preaching two sermons today. And I was like, slacker, you know, all right? <laughs> so I've been doing all three. This is number three for me, so I get to uh, get the rest a little bit uh, after this. But honored to be with third service. It's always a privilege and a good time. So looking forward to this. So in second service, we're, we're kicking off a series on leadership. And that started today. And um, so I'm giving you guys the same sermon, not change that around. Um, but you will get a different message series or uh, message, obviously, from Pastor Jeff next week. I, I'm not exactly sure where he's going, but in second service, we're doing uh, three messages on leadership leading up to the Global Leadership Summit. So this week we did it. Next week we'll have it. And then that, that third week, the Sabbath after the summit on the 13th of August, I have a guest, his name is Pastor Lafitte, and um, he will be here to preach, uh, excellent, excellent preacher and a good friend, so if you want to come and check us out at Second Service, please feel free to do that, we're talking about leadership, you'll get a little bit of taste of that today, is that cool? Say amen, awesome, alright, let's pray. Father God, thank you for today, thank you for Third Service, thank you for um, the gift of Sabbath and rest and worship. Thank you for the gift of leadership, and thank you for those who lead. Father, I pray that you would inhabit this place. I pray that your spirit would be present here. May you move so that we can all become better leaders. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to take you to 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is one of two case studies that we're going to look at that give us some insight and some wisdom on how to lead and how to lead well. 1 Samuel chapter 30, I'm reading verses 3 through 8. A familiar story, likely, uh, but if not, we're going to get familiar with it this morning. It goes like this. It's a story from the life of a great leader, David. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Verse 4. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. 
Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Now, when you and I were coming along through our teen years, we arrived at 15 and 16, and there was a test that we all took somewhere around those ages. Maybe it was a little bit later, uh, but we took a test. Our parents went and got a little book for us from the DMV. It's a driver's test, right? Remember that test? Wonderful little thing. And I remember as I was arriving at the age to prepare to drive and having to anticipate taking that test, I did not take it very seriously. I thought it was quite annoying, and it produced actually a bit of social anxiety in me, right? It's annoying because I, they kind of take something that's relatively simple, driving a car, and make it rather complex. They throw all these details at you about the rules and the laws and all those sorts of things, right? They make you learn about stopping distances. Okay. They make you learn about the shapes of the signs that you will encounter. As if I cannot understand stop. <laughs> stop. Yield. I get it. I got to slow down, right? I grew up in Arkansas, so I grew up, you know, we kind of, you get in the car and they, your parents tell you what the R is and the D and all that, and you drive. It's pretty easy. Why they got to go and complicate things, right? So I didn't take it very seriously, and it produced anxiety for me because my, my peers were also going through the same thing. So there's this social pressure on you. Because you don't want to be the one guy that didn't pass the driving test, the simple, really easy driving test, right? All right, so confession time, people. How many of you didn't pass it the first time? Come on, raise those hands. Raise, be proud. Y'all are liars, man. I know some of y'all failed that test. Because you didn't take it seriously. You were annoyed by it like I was. I didn't pass it the first time, all right? I'll confess it. I'm a transparent pastor, all right? And I remember, you know, going back to school and having to face the music with my buddies. And yeah, they're all like, ah, you didn't pass. And I know some of them didn't pass either, you know. But it was just such an annoying sort of a thing, you know. You're kind of like, really, people? Cause the anxiety. But man, the payoff was important, wasn't it? The payoff was powerful. If, if, you, if you passed the test, if you took it seriously enough, like I did on the second time around, and you actually passed the exam, what did it mean for your life? You got a license with a picture on it that looked like you had done a crime or something, right? That's what I'm looking at, a mugshot. And, and, but the, pay, the real payoff was that you had, somebody said it over here, freedom. And if you're lucky enough that parents that would give you a car or let you borrow one or actually bought you one, you no longer had to bug a sibling or bug a parent to take you anywhere. If you endured that annoying little test that caused you anxiety and was a source of embarrassment because you didn't pass it the first time, if you actually got it done, it brought you freedom. Freedom, man. So here's the thing. There's a test that every 
every Christian, everyone who calls themselves Christian, and everyone who calls them, them uh, calls Jesus their Lord and Savior. There's a test that we face, and it's not some silly little driving test. It's the test of leadership. And it matters greatly. As annoying as it can be, and as anxiety-producing as leadership can be, it is absolutely vital. And what we'll come to learn today is that the payoff is freedom. It is a powerful thing. And if you think for some reason you are not a leader, let me change that for you right now. Let me persuade you in a different direction. Every Christian who has received Christ as personal Savior, maybe they've been baptized, amen, like we had this morning, and they have become a member of the local church. By that action alone, you became a leader. When you responded to the call of Christ on your life, it wasn't just for that one day. It was for the rest of your life, and you, you agreed and you affirmed with God that you are now called to serve him with your whole life and to be a leader. You are a leader. So jab the person next to you in the ribs with your elbow and look at them and say, you're a leader. <laughs> I didn't see any jabs. I didn't hear any ouches or hurts or pain. You are a leader. And the reality is with that, as you carry the, the leadership mantle, it will come with its annoyances and its anxieties, man. It will be challenging. But listen to this from the book of Acts. Paul talks about kind of the, the personal mission statement of every Christ follower and every believer. It's our, it's our mantra, if you will. Read this, check it out. You can even read it with me. All right, one, two, three. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Amen. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's what you signed up for. And, and maybe you don't see yourself as a leader, but you are. You are a testifier of the grace of God, the good news of the grace of God. So from this day, from the time that you received Christ forward, you were anointed and appointed as his great, as a testifier of what he's done. You get to represent and you get to tell the story of the good news of the gospel of God's grace. So in your workplace or wherever you lead, whatever environment that you find yourself in, you as a Christian, as a Christ follower, are a leader. And when people see the Christian you coming along, what they see coming is someone who oozes with grace. Whose, whose spirit and very present lends itself and speaks grace into people's lives. So when they see you, Christian, coming, they don't, they don't turn their heads and they don't look down and they don't try to move away from you. But in fact, there's something about you that draws them in. Every leader called under the name of Christ, 
goes out into whatever environment they go into and they leave. It could be, you could be a full-time mom at home. You could be a full-time dad at home. You could be in the marketplace. You could be a private business owner. But wherever you go, whatever environment you lead in, you lead as a testifier of the grace of God. Why? Because you have been given much. Grace is about all that you've been given. And so in return, you you understand the call and the responsibility on your life. And so, in fact, you give much because you've been given much because of the grace of God. You're, you're a leader, and that's your call. That's, 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 that's what uh, you do. That's just who you are. It, just, it emanates from you. It pours out of your pores, and wherever you go, people are attracted to that grace. They're not turned off by you as a Christian. They're drawn to you. And you have influence. Even if you don't feel like it, even if you don't know that you do, you influence wherever you are as a Christ follower. It just happens whether you want it to or not. But even as we adopt that mantra, even as we allow that to be our mission statement, we still recognize that leadership is challenging, man. Whatever environment we lead in, we understand that it's frustrating, that it comes with its anxieties, it comes with its annoyances, there are issues that we have to deal with. Here's another case study for you. Go to the book of Numbers. It's a familiar story, you've likely heard it before. A quick look at a case study from the life of Moses, a great leader. God called him. Moses said, look, I can't talk. I'm, I'm not a good public speaker. You want me to go talk to Pharaoh and lead your people out of Egypt? I don't think I'm the guy. God says, no, 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 you're my man. I'm calling you. And here's a little bit of an episode from the life of Moses where he gets to experience the annoyances and the anxieties of being a leader. Because as a leader, you, you lead people, and you influence people. And the challenge with that is that you lead people, <laughs> right? That's the challenge. And if everybody, if everybody would just listen to what you say and do what you do, it would be perfectly fine, but that never happens as a leader. And so here's a little episode from the life of Moses where he, he, he comes to God. He begins to explain his frustrations as a, as a leader and his, and his annoyances at the people. Notice this, um, Numbers chapter 11, verse 11, it goes all the way through 15. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? As a leader, have you ever asked God, so, you know, why, God? I get it. I, you want me to do something for you. But really, does it have to be this hard? He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Listen to him, man. Did I conceive all these people? <laughs> Are they my children? <laughs> Did I give them birth? <laughs> it's pretty impossible, Moses. You clearly didn't give birth, but... He is so frustrated, so 
annoyed at the burden of leadership and the burden of leading these people. It's a leadership test for him. What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Verse 12. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? It's like taking care of children, God. (laughs) I have to carry these people as a leader. And you know, whatever environment that you lead in, you have felt the same frustration. And if you're a pastor and you lead in a church or you lead in some other type of ministry, at some point in your ministry you have said this, I have said this as a pastor and I will own it and you can be mad at me if you want to, that's fine. Pastoring and leading a church would be fine if it wasn't for the people. (laughs) Right? If I could just do this by myself, I'd be all right, right? That's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. But you can hear Moses talking about it and bemoaning the burden of leadership. Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. Verse 14. I cannot carry. Here he is back to that, that, that scenery of carrying people. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me. <laughs> Moses like, God, why are you treating me? Have I done something wrong? If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. (laughs) Just take me out, God. Uh, Death would be better than leading right now. That's the way it is. Put me to death right now if I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. Wow. That was Moses' leadership test in that moment. And you can hear the burden of his soul. You can hear the, the cry of a leader who takes seriously his charge, his mission from God. That's why it's so hard for me. He, 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 he understands what he's called to do. He understands that he's to be this testifier of God's grace and to lead the people patiently and to accomplish what God has called him to do. But it is hard and it is annoying and it causes anxiety and stress. Uh, leadership experts tell us this. They tell us that, that as a leader, and again, all of us are leaders. Um, on three, say, I am a leader. One, two, three. I am a leader. Thank you for participating. And as a leader, you lead north, south, east, and west. You look at a compass. You lead north. You lead north because you lead or you influence the people above you. There are people who you are subordinate to. And so to a certain extent, although sometimes it's awkward, you lead up. You lead north. I have a senior pastor. I have a church board. I have a conference that I am subordinate to. And so therefore, I, um, I lead up as much as I can and as appropriately as I can. I lead up. Now, whether or not they listen to me, that's a different story. But I attempt to lead up, right? You lead up. You lead south. Or you lead down, if you will. You lead the people who are subordinate to you. The people who come underneath your leadership. And, and you lead them. So you lead south. Now it's more natural for us when we think of leadership to lead south. I lead the people who are underneath me. Who are, who are with me to accomplish a certain mission. I lead them. I have a team for young adult ministry in the church. They 
they, I try to lead them, and they work with me, and we work together to lead together. Then you, need, you lead east and west, or you lead laterally. I'm on a team with uh, you know, nine other pastors, basically, um, and we lead together. There's Pastor, uh, Pastor Barr, Pastor Mark, Pastor Patty, and we lead together. We are, uh, we are co-leaders. I lead laterally. And, and again, all of those situations, all of our leadership environments um, come with their own set of challenges and stressors. And they all, they all meet their test. We all face with tests in all of those leadership directions. In this case study with Moses, Moses has to lead south. He has to lead the people under him, and he is tested in his leadership. He's challenged in his leadership. But here's the thing. That's not the most challenging leadership test that we face. Leading north is difficult. Leading south is challenging, as Moses was doing, and it comes with his own set of frustrations. Leading east and west laterally with those who are your colleagues and your, your equals is challenging. But the most challenging leadership test that you and I face is the one right in the middle. Leading you. You are the most challenging leadership test that you will ever face because you are the most challenging person you will ever lead. Every time you look in the mirror, think about it. You are the leadership challenge. You are the leadership test. You are the greatest leadership test. And to a great extent, the way that you lead yourself will determine how well you lead east, north, east, south, and west. The way that you lead you will greatly determine how you lead everywhere else. But you, my friend, and me, we are our greatest leadership test. And if we don't take that test seriously, if we don't think carefully, and if we don't, if we don't uh, do that test well, it will affect our leadership altogether. Think about it. Paul, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 7, famous passage, you've heard it before. Paul would say this, he says, the things that I want to do, I cannot do, but the thing that I don't want to do, I always find myself doing. He called himself the chief of all sinners. He realized that he was a mess. And but for the grace of God, his leadership wouldn't be nearly as effective as it was because he understood the greatest test to every leader is to lead themselves, to lead themselves well. And it absolutely matters. It matters. As we'll see in this case study, the original case study that we looked at when we go to the life of David. So let me give you a little bit more backstory to this, this story of David, this case study with David. It's quite powerful. So David was um, called, appointed, and anointed by God to lead his people. Um, he's chosen by Samuel. God anointed him through Samuel said, you are my guy. My favor is off of Saul. I'm moving from him um, because you love me with your whole heart is the way the Bible describes David. 
But David is a bit of a fugitive on the run. He hasn't attained the throne yet. He's got the call. He's got the appointment. He's got the anointment. But he hasn't, he hasn't taken his seat on the throne. So in order to escape the craziness and the insanity of King Saul, he goes to an area of the Philistines. The Philistines are kind of like the, the, the great enemy of God's people. And yet that's where David goes. So he forms a bit of an awkward alliance with the Philistines. Remember the big giant, the big Philistine giant that David? So here's a weird, really awkward sort of relationship that emerges. And the Philistine leaders give David an area called Ziklag. They give him a, a, a city called Ziklag. It's in the Negev. It's in a, a very desolate desert type of place. So David and his 600 men and their wives and their children are kind of holed up in Ziklag. That's their base of operations. Um, the, the Philistines and the Israelites are going to battle. They're going to war. There's another group of people called the Amalekites. The Amalekites are just this annoying group of people. They're kind of like bandits, and they just kind of go around, and they, they take from people, and they pillage, and they will, if, they, if you get into a battle with them, they're going to be a, a, real, a real viable enemy, and they will, they will they've been, they had defeated Israelites, the Israelites before, and they've been defeated by the Israelites. So, but they are some, some rough and tough kind of uh, guys that run around and just cause trouble. So while the Philistines are fighting the Israelites, David and his men are making their way back from the battlefront, essentially, making their way back to Ziklag. And this is where we pick up the story, and it becomes very apparent that David is going to be tested in these moments. That what's a, what he's going to see and what's going to transpire is going to test his leadership. It's the greatest test that we all face. His how he will lead himself in the midst of this crisis and this chaos. And so when David and his men returned, they found that the entire city uh, had been burned down. Ziklag was burned to the ground. And all that, was, that mattered to them, the people they loved, the people they cared about, cared about, their wives and their children were gone, kidnapped, taken by the Amalekites. And in that moment, it just... It, it, it says, this is the response. So David and his men wept aloud. They grieved loudly. Verse 4 of 1 Samuel 30. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. They just poured everything out because everything that meant anything to them was gone. David's two wives have been taken. Um, and skip down to verse 6. And this is where you begin to see David's response to the greatest test. He had had enormous success and here he is. It's a major setback. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Now take a moment and think about this. When things go south, when things go wrong, who do people look at? <laughs> they look to the leader. Um, so it's no, no question that, that in this moment of trial, David, people are looking at David. It causes him stress. It causes him distress. You are a leader. It comes with the territory. Stress and dis distress. Regardless of how, how real the, the leadership gift is in you, you deal with stress, right? It's just the reality of being 
a leader. If you take the original, if you take the Hebrew word for distress, the original from the original language of the Old Testament of Hebrew, the word actually means to narrow, narrow. And so what happens, especially in situations where there's been great loss and your people are, are, are traumatized, the focus narrows on you. And it's as if the walls are closing in on you and your leadership. And you're going to be called to task to answer the question, what do we do now? How do we deal with this leader? And it will be the greatest test that you face. And the people were ready to stone him, it says. His leaders, his men, his people were ready to stone him. And if you're a leader, you know that the stones come flying, baby, right? There's the stone of, well, clearly you shouldn't have been the leader for us, right? After all, David, it was your idea to go hang out with the Philistines. It was your idea to move to Ziklag. We're going to blame you. There's the stone of blame. There's the stone of capacity. The stone of capacity that people hurl at you is that clearly you do not have the leadership capacity to do this job. This is way over you, right? You heard that as a leader? You can't do it. This is too much for you. All kinds of stones come out of everywhere. And then there's the reality of David's own grief. He's lost everything too. His wives, his children, what matters to him has been snatched out of his own hands. And what people forget about is that the leader is flesh and blood too. I want you to think about that. You as a leader are real, but those who are in leadership over you too, don't forget that they are real people too, and they grieve, and they hurt, and, and they, they bleed just like you do. So before you go flying off the handle about something, before you start throwing those stones, you remember that they have family, that they are a husband or a father, they are a mother, they are a daughter. They are, they are real, live human beings, and they have pressures, and they have hurts and wounds and pains. See, one of the big things about Christian leaders is that we live with a certain amount of awareness of the reality of the fact that leaders are people too. So often it is, it's easy to forget that those are real people we're talking about. That they matter. But David's people were ready to take him out, to be done with him. And here's the greatest test that you and I face is how we will lead ourselves. And here's the clincher, baby. Here's where it's just really powerful. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Man, the key to leading you, the key to leading me well, is to determine that we will find our strength in the Lord our God. When all the chips are down, when, 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 it all, when all eyes are on you, when the walls are closing in and everybody's ready to throw stones, 
The question becomes, where will your strength come from? And you can run and you can isolate and you can try to distance yourself. You can take a call somewhere else. You can find a job. You can just quit. Say, I'm out. People, I'm gone. You could, you could transfer churches and say, well, I can't handle that. I'm going to go somewhere else. Or you could turn to the God you claim to serve and find your strength in him. David had lost everything that mattered to him. But in this moment of crisis and chaos, he realized that he had the one thing that mattered the most. His God. Don't forget those words. His God. It's not just the God of the Israelites. It's not just the God of, uh, of, of, of Jacob and, and, and Isaac. It's, it's, the, it's his God. It's not just the God of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It's not just the God of Christianity. He's your God. He's your God. He personally calls you. He personally loves you. He personally sees your loss and your pain and your grief. He personally sees the stones being prepared to be thrown at you because you are the leader. And he says the only way you get through this test of your leadership is that you lean into me. The way you pass this test, the way you escape this crisis is if you lean into me. I will be your strength. I am your strength. Everything hinges on leadership. And everything in this moment, the rescue of that which had been taken, hinged on David's leadership of himself in the most critical moments. And I don't know where you are, what critical moments you face, what crisis that you're in, but Everything hinges on where you find your strength. And the question becomes, will you find it in the Lord, your God? You have degrees, you have diplomas, you have trainings, you've been to every seminar under the sun. You know all the right things to do. You're equipped, you're talented, you're gifted, all those things as a leader. But your strength will come by the way that you lean into the God that you claim to serve. And if you pass this test, if you pass this test, if this test matters enough to you for you to find strength in the Lord your God, it means freedom. It means freedom. Because David would get the green light. Go and get your people. Go. And so David, with all of his men, they're they're dog tired. In fact, some of them gave up. So he, he was down to 400 men by the time he got to the Amalekites. And he beat the Amalekites down from dusk till dawn. He, he destroyed them. And he reclaimed that which had been taken from him. The people who he loved, who, were, who didn't have freedom, he reclaimed them. All because of his leadership of himself. And so people will become free Largely based upon how well you and I lead ourselves. In those critical moments, do we find our strength in the Lord our God?
Do we pass the test? Passing the test means freedom, not just for ourselves, but for a whole lot of people. Because we are the testifiers of God's grace. And they will know that grace and they will come to know this God of grace because of the way that we lead. The way that we lead. Father, I'm sitting in the midst of a whole bunch of leaders. And for many of us, God, perhaps we've leaned into our talents and our abilities and our degrees and all of that. And we've forgotten about the true source of strength. May we choose you again. May we return to you with our whole lives. And may we patiently sit at your feet and seek strength from you. Regardless of the pressures that surround us. Regardless of anything that's coming at us. May we pull aside. In the same way that Jesus pulled aside, may we pull aside And simply find our strength in you. Because when we're strong in you, many are set free. In Jesus' name, amen.